I'm Elizabeth Barnes, and I um, I run Ultra Coach, uh, which is a coaching business that I have had for quite a long time now. Um, so I um, uh, I'm an ultra endurance runner. I specialize in multi stage races. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could say I'm retired from that now because I haven't done it competitively for a few years. Um, uh, but before then, I did a lot of races, and I did the Grand to Grand in 2016. And Colin was kind enough to remind me that uh, I still have the second fastest time of a woman ever in the race. So that was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive. That record's held for a long time. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. Um, so um, I have run almost all my life. I started running ultramarathons in 2011, did my first multi-stage race in 2012, which was the Marathon de Sable. And um, pretty much since uh, around that time, I've been a running coach. Um, and I've coached now... Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of runners um, for these types of races, um, and and yeah, I, I I love it. It's great, and so I'm I'm excited to come on board as a coach for Grand to Grand now. Yeah, it is really cool. Like all all your experience in just like if you want to call it normal running, as in like single day races, and then like stage racing. Like you have a lot of experience doing these events. Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I do. I run in. I run in, not quite on all continents, but we're getting there. And uh, I've done deserts, uh, high mountains, rainforests, and so I have accumulated a lot of experience over the years. And um, and yeah, I guess I, I know what it's like to take on a challenge like this. And it is about so much more than just getting you know, fit to run or walk if that's what you do. Um, but really there, there are so many factors around everything and obviously gear that we're going to talk about today is a big one. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the gear part of stage racing is really interesting because like when I started running, I think like most people, you kind of start doing like maybe shorter road races or trail races. And then even if you do an ultra race, it's still very different gear wise than it is running a stage race. So that is what we're going to talk about today is like choosing the gear, because I think a lot of people probably are a little, um, little nervous about a stage race simply because of the gear aspect, because it's a lot more involved and intense than just running a 50 K or a marathon or something. So, um, yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. Like, like what, like, where do you start when choosing gear to run a stage race? Um, yeah, well, first of all, you, you know, you go to the, you go to the kit list and the, the organizer's official kit list and you look at the mandatory items like that's your number one like because you know it's really important to make sure you have everything you need and that you uh, comply with the regulations um and and so and then i know in the case of grand to grand there is uh, also an additional kit list which is like okay here are the things that are not compulsory but which we recommend and I've looked at that list and I think it's actually very sensible so you have a good starting point for grand to grand if you you know look at those lists but then as with most races those lists don't really tell you very much about um, exactly what 
item is suitable. Um, be because when we do these races, it's really, really important to go as light as possible. And uh, you, 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 know, you almost have to become, you know, obsessed. Uh, <laughs> obsessed with your kit. You, you can't just go into like a regular camping shop and go, oh, I need, you know, I need a backpack because they are not going to have a clue what you need, you know. And so it does get very specific in order to get the weight down. But getting the weight down is critical because otherwise you're going to have an extremely hard week or you won't uh, finish. So, um and that's, I guess, where I came into the picture because I've done this so many times. Like, I know what you need. And so that's why we're here, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just real quick, the other day I was running with a friend who he runs professionally and coaches full-time well, and runs, I guess. But I was asking him, like, why do people pay you so much? Because he definitely charges a premium for his coaching. And he explained it to me as it's like, well, basically you can fast track all the misery or avoid all the misery of just learning yourself and just be where you want to be a lot faster. So instead of taking five to six years of just failing, 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 and finally learning, you can pay a coach and then you just know all these things instantly. And it just makes running so much more enjoyable. And I'd never thought about it that way before. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I've definitely, um, I've definitely learned a lot through trial and error and it's, it's a hard process. It is a hard process and some people love it, you know, because it can be a fun process, especially if, you know, you're, you're, you know, towards the, the nerdy side, you know, it can be great fun, but then you can also make huge mistakes and, and that's really unnecessary. And, and yeah, I think as, as coaches, you know, we, at least the coaches who run the races that they coach for, you know, we, we collect all this experience over time and people might go, oh yeah, that's quite an expensive coach. Like I can get this other coach cheaper yeah but it's not about your training plan any coach can give you a training plan you know you don't pay for an hour or for a month you pay for you know decades of experience so and that really is worth a lot you know because it can save you many hours of research and many mistakes in the process and these races are are not cheap either so they are a big investment and um and the feeling of of the, you know, the, the feeling of success and, you know, accomplishment when you finish that, like, does that even have a price, you know? Um, so I think it's really worth doing, you know, what you can to get there prepared, whether that is with a coach or without the coach, but it's really important. Yeah, I definitely agree. So I guess jumping off of that, then let's just start with the basics of, of equipment for a race like Grand to Grand. So like, how do you choose a pack? Because like you were saying, if you walked into a camping store, like us in the US, we have REI, which is pretty big, for example, they're going to have a million different types of like backpacking bags and running vests and things, but those aren't exactly ideal for a stage race. Yeah. So um, a backpack for a stage race is... Um, it's a little bit specific, so uh, I think it should be in the region of 20 to 30 liters. Um, I'm doing the metric system, by the way, so I hope that's okay, because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to be very confused. Yeah? Um, so 20 to 30 liter uh, backpack, um, you really do not need any more than that. Um, 20 could be on the small side for some and 30 is on the big side for some. 
Um, but if you go over, what you risk doing is filling your pack with things that you don't need. So, so, so that's the first thing. Um, and then when you do a race like this, it's, it's um, important to eat and drink during each stage. And so we want to have easy access to water. And the most practical way uh, of drinking, I think, is to have um, a couple of hard bottles, like think typical kind of cycling bottles of about 750 milliliters. And you have two of those uh, equates to one and a half liter. And, and you just want to store them easily. And so uh, backpacks like this, they typically have um, bottle holders on the front where you can just put your bottles um, and then a few pockets for things you need to have accessible as you run. And that typically includes your snacks for the stage, um, maybe access to a little bit of loo roll if you need to go into the bushes, um, uh, perhaps the compass, you know, if, if that should be required during a particular stage. So, so those are sort of the things that you want to have accessible, some electrolytes perhaps. Um, so yeah, so we're looking at that. We're looking at those those features basically. And if you go into like a regular camping store, which you will probably find is that the, the backpacks don't have the bottle holders, many of them. Um, and so, and they may not have so many front pockets. Um, so that's one problem. And then you might say, well, could you have a bladder in the back? And yes, you could have that. And, and some people do have that. And so I'm not saying it's impossible, but when you're, it depends where it sits because when your backpack is full, it's going to take you a long time to not only take that out, but then once you've filled it, you're going to try to get that in again. Um, and so at every checkpoint, you're going to add a lot of faff and time. Um, and so that, that can be quite costly. And then it's a little bit more difficult to keep clean than hard bottles. Um, so I'm almost starting to talk about hydration, but I think I just want to make this point because it's a really important feature of the backpack and so these packs tend to be made by more specialist brands who are um, like yeah maybe more big in in kind of ultra running or have a niche there um yeah rather than sort of the camping brands yeah definitely and like i think or that's one of the brands yeah it's definitely one of the most critical pieces of gear too and i think a lot of people just think of it as like oh it's just a backpack but really it's kind mm. of like your home for the week yeah, it is. It is your home for the week. Um, and you also need to be able to move to move with it comfortably um, because otherwise it can be really annoying. So all backpacks don't fit on all people. So you might find yourself starting out with one backpack and then you realize, mm, yeah, I don't like this or I don't like that or it bounces when I run. Um, and then maybe you need to change the model. And so the backpack is actually the thing that I recommend that people buy first out of all of their kit so that they can just start to get used to it um, and see if they like it and see if it might need tweaking or if it might just need, you know, replacing with another pack. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's very individualized for each person, like, like a backpack that fits me, like you're saying, might not fit you because our body types are a little bit different, whether whether that's your height or just, just different things, how we feel is comfortable. And I think that yeah. also applies a lot to, to socks and shoes as they're a very personal preference where 
a shoe that I might really love, you may hate yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with your shoes, um, I think uh, for the Grand Grand, I would recommend a trail shoe because the ground in some places is, you know, it's not as smooth. You know, you don't just run in the desert. You know, there is some rocky terrain and, uh, and you actually spend quite a lot of time uh, on the course as well. So, um, I mean, even the, even the fastest runners in Grand to Grand are like at least 30 hours. And I think most people are around, you know, if you're in the middle, maybe around sort of 50 hours. Right? So, so your shoes kind of need to be a bit robust um, and comfortable. You need to train with them. Uh, so I would say a trail shoe uh, is good. Um, and like you said, you know, is it good for you? You know, it needs to fit you. Um, and when there is a chance of or risk or how to put it, crossing a stream or something, which at least we did that in 2016. Um, it happened because it rained. Um, I, I would advise to have a shoe that... Uh, where, where like basically the water can come out if you have to go into water. So I never recommend Gore-Tex shoes because then the water like stays in. You don't want that. So a good breathable shoe um, because you might decide you want to have a gaiter on it and then the gaiter reduces the breathability. So, um, so yeah, robust but breathable with some toe protection, um, a good outer sole with some, you know, decent grip, but you don't have to go overboard with that. And then uh roomy toe box um because your feet are going to take a lot of pounding and so they might swell a little bit during the week so yeah <laughs> yeah definitely i think most people's feet do swell a bit plus like like you're saying it is really warm out there it's really sandy and there might there's potential for water there's a few places even during the dry years where you could potentially get wet feet or even just have really sweaty feet throughout the day because it gets pretty warm yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also where the socks come in. Like you really want to have, uh, let's say, good quality socks. And there are probably as many sock preferences as there are people <laughs> out there. So um, many socks can be great. But I would just say, you know, like invest in good quality socks. And your main choices are to go for either a, a, a toe sock um, or just a normal regular sock. Uh, a lot of people like the toe socks uh, and they can reduce uh, friction between the toes and maybe absorb a bit of extra uh, extra sweat. So um, I think that makes them a, a popular choice. Yeah, so thinking about like just friction and stuff reminds me about chafing, how chafing is always very common. You see people with, um, with like the tape on their backs and everything because it just happens out there. But how do we choose like the proper set of clothing for the race? Because I've seen everything from cotton t-shirts to full on like normal jackets, not puffy jackets, all these different types of clothing out there. But it's a very like dynamic race temperature wise because there's mm. very hot days. And then there's also very cold nights. So how do you pick the right type of clothing for a race like this? Yeah. So in terms of the, in terms of the running, um, if we look at like the, the day stages, if I, if I don't talk about the long stage for now, but I would go for, for the running, I would go with um, shorts or short tights and a 
T-shirt. Um, but I think that, you know, if you prefer to have long tights, that's okay. If you prefer to have long sleeves, that's okay. But I would go for a thin um, material and um, because you can have some changes in temperature, I would I would be inclined to go for a very lightweight merino, actually. Um, I find that merino is a really nice material that sort of if it's if it's like thin, um, it doesn't make you cool. Even if you even if you've sweated and it gets a bit cooler, you actually you know you still feel okay. Whereas if you have a more kind of synthetic plastic <laughs> type running T-shirt, you know, like when you get sweaty, they can feel really really cold. So it can be a bit um, uncomfortable uh, in temperature changes. So, um, but something lightweight that wicks away moisture, um, that is of, of good uh, quality. That's what I would pick. Because another factor that comes in is when you have a t-shirt or a shirt, like whether it's loose fitting or tight fitting, um, and you have the backpack and you do these really long days, you can also get chafing in places. And sometimes you get chafing from the seams of a shirt. So it's really important to train with whatever you pick. Sometimes, um, a loose fitting t-shirt in combination with a certain backpack can start to ride up from the movement of the backpack. And so then that's, of course, really annoying having to go and pull down a t-shirt, you know, all the time. And so you you really need to test everything in training to to be aware of what fits and what doesn't fit. And, and it's like the whole combination of of everything. Um, yeah, and, and and so and I would probably go for a light color as well. I mean, if you see pictures of me from Grand Grand Twenty Six, and I was all black, but I, um, I also had like sponsor gear to think about, and and I, I chose that, and it was fine because the T-shirt was quite thin and loose fitting. Um, but I think I would go for something more like light color, at least the the top, and then um, it's good to have a some kind of cap, maybe with a neck flap. Um, because again, the days are really long, the sun can be strong. And I have found that it makes a difference if you have something um, actually white on your head, at least if your natural hair color is a bit like mine is here. <laughs> um, it actually makes a difference. Um, so it's good to have a, a buff to hand, um, which can also be good. Uh, you can either sort of soak it in some water during the day if you need to cool yourself down um, but it's also useful at, at night if you need to keep yourself a little bit warmer so kind of multi-use um yeah that's that's probably what i would say for for running um what do you see people mostly wearing in in grand to grand would you say it is shorts and t-shirt or how many people opt for something more long sleeved or yeah, mostly like shorts and t-shirts. Um, yeah. The past little bit, I've seen people wear like the sun hoodies, like the longer t-shirts with a, like a hood on top. Mm. And I, I don't know, personally, I don't love those, especially while wearing a pack, but I can see why somebody would want that because it is sun protection without having to use sunscreen, which is like kind of nice because yeah. sunscreen gets so sticky and, and greasy. Yeah, it can, it can do. For sure. That's also what I like about actually having um, some kind of cap because 
then you're more protected around your eyes and you don't have to use so much sun cream because when you sweat and if that gets in your eyes, it gets really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and you're definitely going to sweat at Grand de Grand because it's, it's always hot. Yeah, yeah you're going to sweat. <laughs> okay, cap people, <laughs> we've established that. <laughs> it's very important. Um, what about jackets? Because I've seen people just bring like either no jacket because they're, they assume it's the desert and it's warm or they'll bring a very heavy jacket. But a down jacket for me seems like the best option where it's very, you can pack it down really small, but it's also very warm for the amount of weight. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say a, a very lightweight down jacket um, or the synthetic equivalent for those people who who don't want to choose down for whatever reason. They're actually, the, the synthetic options used to be really heavy in comparison, but they're not anymore. There's some really good synthetic options. So you can you can get a light jacket that is down or synthetic, um, but the point is it should be very packable and lightweight. And, you know, a good, a good lightweight down jacket weighs in the region of like 150 grams, right? So if you find a jacket that weighs 400 grams and you think like it's really light, they're going to tell you it's not. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to sort of give people an idea when we say light, like what do we mean? So if it is 250, is that a disaster? No, absolutely not. And of course, we're all different body sizes and the weight of our clothes will vary accordingly. Um, but the really lightweight down jackets are in that in that region in terms of weight. And it's a really useful thing to have because it's really nice to have it in the morning when you wake up, when it's cold. It's really nice to have it um, in the evening. And if you want some extra warmth uh, sleeping, you can wear it when you sleep. Um, and if you, you know, sit down at the checkpoint during the long stage at night, you know, or something, maybe you, you know, want to put that on. Um, so for me, I think a down jacket is something I've taken to almost all my stage races, unless I have known that it's going to be quite warm. So I have had some other solutions but i think for ground to ground it's compulsory to have one anyway right so you kind of need to have it um but what you can also consider you know in addition um i can't remember if this is compulsory to have or not but a lightweight i spoke it, you have to have a waterproof jacket right i think i remember that so so then you know if Let's assume if that is the case, <laughs> I think that is the case. But then, then you know, you go for a really lightweight waterproof jacket. You can also use that as a wind jacket if, you know, for whatever reason that would be necessary. Maybe you want to put something extra on during the long stage if you're out late, then you can, you can, you know, you can do that. Um, so I personally probably wouldn't go for many other spare tops and things like that. I think that's a bit unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And thinking about weight, like a 400 gram jacket compared to 150 grams, like it may not seem like that much, but when you add on other things on top of that, eventually your packet's really heavy. And so that just reminds me a lot about people's cooking gear that they bring. Cause I've seen people bring full on like metal cups and like just cooking stuff that you might take camping, like at a campground or in your car. But when you have to carry that stuff for a week, that gets very annoying and very heavy. So like what kind of tips do you have for people as far as like bringing stuff to cook their meals with at camp? Yeah. So 
So you get hot water at camp, so you don't need a stove. Um, so it makes it quite simple. So for eating meals, you pretty much have, I would say, two options. You know, if you, it depends what food you bring, and of course, like people can bring a a, a wide variety of types of food. But it's quite common to bring freeze-dried meals, and so freeze-dried meals come ready packed in a bag, and you can eat your meal from the bag. And so it is an option to do that and not take anything to prepare your meal when you just pour the hot water in the bag and you eat your meal. Um, there is, however, the consideration that these, the packaging for these meals um, is actually quite heavy because there is the bag and then there is a little pouch inside that is there to keep the food fresh. And so if you add up the weight of those two, which I have done many times, and you multiply that by the number of meals you need to have, you go like, oh, that's a couple of hundred grams. Um, and so if you repackage your food to save on that weight and to save on volume, um, which you can do if you repackage your food, uh, then you have to eat your food from something. And so then that can either be the, if you vacuum pack your food, it can be the vacuum um, bag you pack in if you sort of don't make it too small when you pack your food. Or you bring some kind of pot that is also relatively easy to clean so you don't have to waste water in camp. Um, and then I would say you could either bring a, a very lightweight titanium pot. Um, so uh, they, they don't weigh much uh, at all, actually. Um, or um, another thing is that you can take a very lightweight, like little plastic uh, jar uh, with a with a lid, like the type if you go and buy some sort of cheap peanut butter, you know, they can come in this plastic jar that's, you know, <laughs> quite thin. Um, and so as long as that is food safe, I mean, in theory, you could take something like that um, and, you know, put your food in, put the hot water in, screw the lid on and let it, you know, sit for a while to rehydrate and you could eat your meal from that. But you probably need... Um, yeah, you need something to eat your food from, but stay away from the regular sort of heavy camping gear with thick plastic or steel. Like, really, it weighs too much. And um, for eating, I love the titanium uh, long-handled spoons. So they they weigh, I can't remember exactly now, but with, let's say it's like between 10 and 20 grams like maybe 18 grams or something, or maybe it's nine. I don't know. Anyway, it's lightweight. And it's got a long handle, and it's it's uh, very easy to clean. And with the long handle, you avoid getting your fingers in your food. So that's like a hygiene consideration. Um. That's something that I think a lot of people don't think about. Is um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's two yeah. extra grams to have the long handle, but it, it keeps your hands clean. It keeps everything's everything cleaner than it's just better <laughs> it's worth it yeah it is it is better i mean it's like okay you cut your toothbrush brush so short that you end up with your fingers in your mouth like again like <laughs> you know it's like it's it, it doesn't make sense like <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it gets kind of gross sometimes to see things that people do because if you're if you just go to the bathroom and you're brushing your teeth with your your fingers essentially and then eating with those same fingers it gets really gross really fast <laughs> 
Yeah, and people go like, oh, I got a bad stomach. There was a stomach bag in camp. I don't know what happened. You're like, yeah, no, I know what happened. <laughs> yeah, we know exactly what happened. <laughs> oh my so, yeah, hygiene is really, really important. And so there is definitely like the, the, the sort of the trade-off between between the weight and like what's hygienic and and also between the weight and what's and what's practical like in general so yeah weight isn't everything it's important but you have to maintain common sense when you shave the weight of your kid definitely so thinking about weight and as far as food goes like certain foods have like a way higher caloric density than other foods so like what's kind of like a typical like just to say like a random day a grand to grand like what would be a typical meal for you while you're out there Okay, so, um, so I'm going to go from memory. I, I, I was going to say something general. I could have uh, brought up my food plan, but I didn't. But um, <laughs> for breakfast, I would probably have, um, I would definitely have coffee. I would have it cold. Um, and I would have maybe some porridge, uh, probably, or some oat cakes with peanut butter. So I might bring peanut butter in the single portion sachets um so something like that perhaps uh if i have that maybe i'll complement it with a, a bit of protein shake or meal replacement shake or something like that um and then for running the stage um i will keep one bottle with only water and then in the other bottle i will have some kind of uh, carbohydrate mix but i will make it uh, quite weak uh, but i will have it and um I will make sure I get my electrolytes in uh, as well, whether that is capsules or tablets or whatever that is. And then I will have some snacks and they will be uh, mostly carbohydrate based. So, uh, yeah, it could be just regular sweets that I like, um, or it could be some sports nutrition product, maybe some sort of jelly cubes or something like that, that is easily digestible when running. Um, and if it is the long stage, I will add on other things to that that maybe have more more salt, more fat, more protein, especially the second half. Um, but other than the long stage, uh, it's mainly carbohydrate-based for the running because that's what I run best on and what most people need when they, when they run. If you're a walker, you might, you might go at a little bit lower intensity. It might also be easier to eat, let's say, a bar. But chewing a bar when running is, is or when trying to run fast, is like not uh, typically a very good thing to do. So uh, walkers might have more choice, let's say. Uh, when I finish, I will have a recovery shake. So protein, carbohydrates. And then um, I will have dinner. So that will be some kind of freeze-dried meal and maybe a little extra snack. And I would say that a typical day uh, for me uh, would be in the region of 3,000 calories. Let's say 2,800, maybe to 3,000 calories. Um, and then I would add on 1,000 calories for the long stage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then thinking about just like being at camp after you like had your dinner and stuff, like how do you plan a proper sleep setup? Because... This is another thing that I've seen a lot of like issues with people where they'll either bring a really, really light sleeping bag and they're cold all night, or they bring a really heavy sleeping bag and they struggle carrying a, a two to three pound sleeping bag during the day. 
So like, mm. what kind of advice do you have for people to plan a proper sleep setup? Yeah, so it's a little bit difficult because I think it's impossible for anyone to predict in advance exactly what is that week going to be like. You know, the weather can always play games on us. Um, but one thing you have in Grand to Grand is, that you, you know, the tents are closed. So you have good protection from the weather and you don't really need to worry about a lot of wind, uh, which which can make it colder. So um, I... Um, so there is a minimum, there is a minimum requirement for the sleeping bag. Um, and, uh, I think that is the zero Celsius rating, uh, 32 Fahrenheit rating. Now that is like, that can be any rating. So the extreme rating is, is accepted, which means that in, you know, a sleeping bag has different rating. It has the extreme, it has the limit, and it has the comfort rating, and they mean different things. And so if you go, if you go and look at the sleeping bag and you say, oh yeah, but the extreme rating is zero, so that's okay. Yeah, but what does an extreme rating mean? It means that somebody can barely survive in that bag for six hours, right? And so that's not like a comfortable <laughs> night's sleep. Um, but I, I think that if you, again, it's like with a down jacket, right? The, you want to go, you want to go light, right? A light uh, sleeping bags, they have, um, they have a number, which is a, a fill power. Uh, and it's basically telling you how fluffy the down is. And the fluffier the down is, um, the more air it traps, which means that you can fill it with less down and still have the same warmth in a bag that has a high quality down filling than a bag that has a low quality down filling. So, um, so when you have the high quality down, um, then you can get away with a lightweight sleeping bag. And I would say that for for this race, I would probably go with a sleeping bag that weighs in the region of 350 to 600 grams. I don't think you have to go over 600 grams if you uh, can buy the good quality sleeping bag. Um, and again, it comes down to budget because sleeping bags can be very expensive. So if, you know, that the compromise is that you go with a, a heavier heavier bag that doesn't have like quite the same quality or that has a synthetic filling perhaps um but you get the same the same warmth yeah so i, I don't okay. know if that was confusing or if that makes if that makes sense um but yeah again to compare with the jacket you know i said 150 grams for the jacket i say 350 to 600 grams for the sleeping bag yeah and like, just an example like i have a like a 32 degree sleeping bag, like Fahrenheit. And like when I bought it, I was like, oh, perfect. It'll be great for tents when they're at freezing temperatures. But it's the, like the survivability rating is 32 degrees. And so yeah. like when I go out bikepacking or something and it's say 50 degrees, it's barely warm enough to like keep me warm at night. And I've yeah. taken it out on days where it's freezing cold and I'm shivering the entire night because it allows you to survive, but you're not comfortable. You're just able to not die. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And and sleep is getting a good night's sleep as much as that is possible is really, really important in a stage race because 
it is a stage race. And so you have to basically be, be, be sort of as fresh as you can for seven days. And so one success factor is how well can you recover from one day to the next? So, so let's say, okay, we have the sleeping bag. Um, and a lot of people actually ignore the sleeping mat. They just look at it as something that, you know, is there for a bit of cushion, but it's not. Sleeping mats also have a, a rating. So sleeping mats can also be insulating um, if, you want, if you want to. So that means that, you know, yeah, they, prote they protect you from the cold of the ground and your sleeping bag and your mat together create the sleep system. So that is also important because the same sleeping bag without the sleeping mat or with uh, a warmer sleeping mat will also make a difference. And it is compulsory to have a sleeping mat anyways. You can't escape it, but you can think about that. Okay, um, so what sleeping mat can I pick that maybe also gives me not only a little bit of, of cushioning under my bones, but also actually a little bit of warmth. So, um, so that's a factor. Um, and when it comes to the sleeping mat, you basically have the option of foam or inflatable. And there are pros and cons with each. Uh, an inflatable can uh, provide a bit more cushioning, but if it uh, punctures, it can be difficult to find and fix the hole. So that's the downside with um, the inflatable mats. And then maybe you want to have a pillow. So there are really small inflatable uh, pillows you can buy. They're very lightweight. That's an option. Or you can maybe sleep on what's left in your backpack. Um, or uh, I have used my shoes uh, to <laughs> sleep on them. Um, That's a very sanitary or, pillow choice. <laughs> or maybe you have a you know you have a stuff you have a stuff sack um, perhaps. Um, or like a dry bag, and then perhaps there are some things you can put in the dry bag that you could, uh, you know, it could make you use that as a pillow. And yeah, we, ideally, we don't have a lot of extra stuff in our backpack, right? So, so if you've done things right, your backpack is going to be a really uncomfortable pillow. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. Uh, what? Elizabeth, as we, we kind of wrap up here, um, as far as I understand, you've come on as a coach now for Grand to Grand, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, no, I, I, had a, I had a chat with Colin, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board as a coach, uh, which I think is really great, actually, because um, I generally coach a lot of runners for the Marathon de Sable, um, and um, I have coached some people for ground to ground over the years, um, uh, but not very many. So uh, it, you know, it would be really exciting to, if uh, there were some more people who wanted to get on board. And um, and what I've done is I have um, created a package. So it's really simple. You know, I basically I take all your guesswork away. I take your research away. You know, unless you want to do it yourself. You know, I will let you, but you know, you don't have to. Um, and so it's a bespoke five months, uh, training plan and then, you know, plenty of support, uh, to make sure that people are prepared with everything that goes around 
that. So, you know, heat acclimation, foot care, you know, uh, shoe choice, uh, gear choice, uh, race, nutrition. Um, did I say heat acclimation? Maybe I did. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so all of these things and your mental preparation. So that starts in uh, April. Um, so five months before the before the race. Awesome. So if people are interested in um, in coaching or just following you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, my website is ultra.coach. And I'm also ultra.coach on Instagram. So that should hopefully keep it simple enough. Or drop me an email at elizabeth at ultra.coach. So. All right. Sounds easy enough to find you then. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. That was really informative and interesting. I think people will um, take a lot of take a lot out of this. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. A little sort of whistle stop tour uh, of various things. Um, hopefully, hopefully useful for people to you know start thinking about about this stuff and get some tips. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, thanks again, and uh, we'll have to talk soon. Great. Look forward to it. <laughs>